in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32, it says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And that's an awesome word for each and every one of us here tonight, that uh, he is the God of the living. How many are thankful that you are alive in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that the Bible says we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but we've been made alive through Jesus Christ. Uh, we serve a living God. Uh, there's life within us. Uh, we're not lost. We're found. We're not blind. We see. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Uh, and that should excite us here tonight, uh, the fact that Jesus Christ uh, died for each and every one of us here and that we can experience life, the Bible says, an abundant life, that he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. He's not some religious figure, but he's a living God, and he's working miracles in our lives, each and every one of us in this place tonight. We give thanks to a living God. We don't pray to some statue who doesn't know who we are or what we're going through. But the God that we praise, the God that we pray to, the God that we worship is alive. He knows everything that's going on inside of our lives, uh, struggles we might be facing. Next week is Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving. It's probably my favorite holiday of the year. And I really want to encourage you to not um, miss out on our Thanksgiving service. When is it? All right, we're listening. It's Tuesday. And the reason why I like this uh, Thanksgiving service so much is because I get to hear testimonies. We get to hear one another's testimonies. We hear about how God has done the miraculous for people. We hear how God has met needs uh, we hear people testify about God, how God has saved their family or brought their children in. We get to hear the testimonies of, of how when all things seemed hopeless and lost, God stepped in and God moved. And I tell you what, uh, you know what begins to take place? A stirring of our faith begins to take place. Uh, we begin to hear not the God of the dead, but of the living and how he's moving in people's lives. Uh, and it stirs our faith. Uh, fires us up, and it reminds us of just how awesome God is, and just how awesome of a God that we serve. I remember as a kid, we used to go to my uh, granny's house for Thanksgiving, and uh, every year we, we would make it on out, my mom, my brother, myself. And by the time we got there, you could smell Thanksgiving in the air, right? There was turkey already in the oven. All the sides were made. She had her little finger foods. And I was always so uh, impressed by how this little old lady would cook this huge Thanksgiving spread. And uh, it would be a highlight. We would look forward to it. And so fast forward, I'm married with my wife and my kids, and we would begin to host a Thanksgiving dinner at our house. And it's a lot of work. If you host Thanksgiving dinner, you know the amount of work, the preparation that takes place. And I would be like, man, I'm amazed that my grandmother would take so much effort to, to feed her family. And so I remember we had her over for Thanksgiving, and I was saying, you know, I really appreciate those meals that you used to cook and all the effort and everything that you put into it. And she goes, dear, I got to confess, I catered everything. I see your kid, what? She goes, 
you know, threw away the boxes before you got there and make sure everything was in the oven. And she made her yams, but they came out of a can. But it was like, oh, like, wow. Truth is, is that, um, you know, whether it was catered or was home cooked, you know, those were those memories that we have. And Thanksgiving is a time to celebrate. It's a time to be thankful. It's a time to uh, give God thanks for all he's done and he's doing. And it's also a time to just remember the blessings he's given us and remember the promises of God that he's given us. We have tonight here the promise of heaven. And I like to mention heaven because it reminds us that this is in our home, that we're just passing through, and that uh, as the world tries to destroy itself, uh, God has us here so we could be a light uh, and a testimony to a world that needs Jesus. Uh, but there's going to come a day where we're going to pass from this life into the next. Uh, and the heaven that we read about uh, and the heaven that we talk about is going to become a reality to each and every one of us here that has Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. For some, we have family members. They're already in the presence of God. They're already at the right hand of, 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 with God and, and the Lord and, and just enjoying his, his goodness. We need to contend for those promises that God has given us. We need to fight to, that the promises of God will not only be upon us, but upon our future generations. And we, as a church, need to remain faithful, to persevere, and to continue in our walk with God, because we haven't made it home yet. Uh, amen. Jacob, we're going to be reading about him tonight. He was a man that had to learn how to seek God for himself. Uh, Jacob was a man that had to learn how to contend for the blessings and the promises of God for himself, for his family. And so tonight I've entitled this message, The Challenge, Contending for the Promise and the Blessings of God. In the book of Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, it's the portion where Jacob had been wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night. And he says, the angel of the Lord says to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Often, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations of men that made up the forefathers of the Jewish nation, that make up the forefathers of the uh, Judeo-Christian faith. These are the men that made up God's chosen people, and I really believe that we, as the body of Christ, as born-again believers, need to continue to be praying for Israel and what's going on in that part of the world. The Bible in, in Psalms 122 says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that we are to pray for peace in Israel, because what happens there affects the world. Pray that uh, the conflict would end, but also pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That both sides, through all of this, uh, that there would be testimonies of individuals having a born-again experience. That they would come to know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Uh, that they would see and realize that he is the Messiah. He's our deliverer. He's our healer. He's our redeemer tonight. Uh, 
See, God has given them blessings. He's given them promises. And when you read throughout Genesis, as he's speaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he keeps reiterating the promises that he has given to these men. And because of their faithfulness, you and I are able to be partakers of those promises and those blessings. Because God has blessed uh, Israel with certain blessings and certain promises. Uh, uh, he told Abraham that the world would be blessed because of him. And we are blessed uh, because through them came Jesus. And because of Jesus Christ uh, and us coming to a place of faith in him and following him, we've been grafted into the family of God. We've been grafted into the kingdom of God. And so the blessings and the promises that God promised uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they apply to you and I today. We get to reap of those blessings and of those promises. When we read the Old Testament and God says about how he's going to be with his people, we can take that and say, I'm going to hold on to that. When we read the Old Testament and God talks about how he's going to provide and meet the needs of his people, we're the people of God. We can hold on to that blessing because we've been grafted into that family. See, the promises of God are for his people. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. The promises that God has given to us have more to do with God than they do with us. Okay, his promises, his blessings uh, in our lives, they reveal his goodness, his love for us. Because oftentimes, if we're honest, we didn't deserve his blessings. We didn't deserve his promises. We didn't deserve his salvation. We didn't deserve the goodness of God that he has given us. And so when he's given us these blessings and promises and when he's done things in our lives, it, it speaks more to his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his love for us than anything else. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Don't you thank God for that? I thank God for that. I thank God that his mercies are new every morning because we sin every day. But I thank God that even as an unbeliever, when I was an unbeliever, his mercies in my life were new every morning. Because he didn't allow me or, or those of us here tonight to die in our sin. And so even though we might have been in rebellion towards God, and even though we might have been shaking our fists towards God, and even though we might have been running from the call of God to get saved and wanting nothing to do with God, his mercy were new every morning for us so that we wouldn't perish but come to a place where we would acknowledge him, the need for a savior, the need to have salvation in our lives. That right there should be enough to give, to, that we would give praise to God, that he gave us a second chance, and we didn't die in our sin, but that God gave us life through Jesus Christ. We could say, I am a child of God. See, a promise is a declaration or an assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. And the promise of God, the promises of God, 
They get us through disappointment. They get us through disappointing times. They get us through those times when things don't seem to go right for us. Jesus, uh, when he was on earth, he often would speak of his death. He prophesied of his death, that he would have to die for the sins of the world. And when he was up on that cross and his disciples that were following him saw their hope, they saw their leader, they saw whom they had devoted their lives to dying on the cross, I think it's fair to say that they were disappointed, that they were disappointed that it wasn't what they anticipated happening. It wasn't how they saw the kingdom of God being established by, the, by Jesus on the cross. But Jesus promised that he wouldn't, be de- that he wouldn't stay dead. Jesus promised that, that he would rise again. Jesus promised uh, that death would not have the final victory over his life. Uh, and Jesus fulfilled that promise on the third day when he rose from the dead. And so what does that tell us? Uh, is that he is a man of his word. He's a God of his word. And he said no matter how disappointed or how hopeless uh, you, feel, you might feel, he keeps his promises to you. He's not a man that he should lie. But he keeps his promises to you and I tonight. See, the promises of God, they help us overcome adversity. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have hardship. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through testings. You're going to go through things when days and nothing works and nothing goes right. You're going to have these trials and these adversities, but the promises of God will help you through them. The promises of God that he is with you will get you through them. The promises of God that he's there to sustain you, to meet your need, to provide, whatever the case might be, will get you through those, those difficulties, those times of adversity. That, it, that the season will pass. That it just as you've been on a mountaintop and you're in the valley, you'll, you'll come out of that valley. See, the promises of God are personal tonight. We read in the word of God how he spoke to individuals personally privately, in their darkest hours, when no one else was around, when they felt all alone, he would come and he would meet them right there where they were at. We need to make the promises of God personal for our lives. The promises that are found in the word of God that will keep us from feeling discouraged or defeated. Those promises that when we make them personal, that when we open up the scripture and begin to read, we can see that this is for me right now uh, concerning what I'm going through. Don't dismiss God's promises. Don't be dismissive of God's promises. Esau, he was the the twin brother of Jacob. He was the firstborn. He came out uh, first, obviously, right? And as the firstborn... He had the promise of the birthright blessing. That means when his father would die, that he would get the double portion of the inheritance. And that should have meant something to him. He should have had value in that promise. He should have anticipated that. He should have been ready for that. It should have meant something to him. But we read that it didn't. See, to him it had no value. To him, that uh, promise of, of having the birthright, he could have took it or left it. And that's exactly what he ended up doing is 
is he was willing to sell the promise of his birthright for a bowl of beans. He was unwilling to contend for the promise of God in his life. And I really believe it's because he had not had an experience with God. And so the promise of God meant nothing to him. In the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 29 to 34, it says, Now Jacob cooked the stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was tired. He was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. And therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. And so he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, a bowl of beans. And he ate and drank and arose, and he went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. That word despised, it means that Esau saw his birthright as worthless. The promise that his father had given to him, he didn't have it in regard. He saw it as worthless, of no value. His attitude was, what can I receive right here, right now? I don't want to wait for the, the blessing. I don't want to wait for the promise. Uh, I'm more interested in what's taking place right now. And so to him, his birthright meant nothing. He despised it. It was worthless. To him, satisfying his, his hunger, his carnality, was, was more important for him at that moment. And again, I really believe uh, it's because he didn't have an experience with God. He hadn't met God personally. The revelation of God. And young person, if I can speak to you tonight briefly, you have a birthright. God has given you a birthright. Because maybe you might not understand why your parents serve God so devoutly. Maybe you might not understand why you have to be in church uh, all the time. But it's because God is sparing you from something. God is sparing you from what your parents had to go through. God is sparing you from a lot of the hurt that they had to experience. And your birthright is this place, is, is, is this body right here. It's the blessings that come through serving God. It's the blessings that come through being under faithful men and women of God. And so don't despise what God is doing in your life. Don't see it as worthless. Find the value in it that God has spared you from so much junk that's going out in the world right now. And he's, he's not only spared you, but he's keeping you. See, when it comes down to it, what we're advocating is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just a religion. A religion of do's and don'ts, a religion of I can take it or I can leave it, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a relationship with Jesus Christ is a relationship worth fighting for. Think about the amazing idea that God desires a relationship with you and with myself, with us here tonight. And again, that speaks more to God, about God and his goodness, than it does about us. 
Because we hear, like, God wants to have a relationship with me. I must be pretty awesome. I must be pretty amazing myself. If God wants to have a relationship with me, it's, it's maybe because I'm so gifted and talented or good-looking. But the truth is, is that that's not the truth. God desires to have a relationship with us because he's good, because he's amazing, because he's wonderful. And he desires to have a relationship with us because he desires to save us. He desires to work a miracle in our lives. He desires to spend not just the time that we're here on earth, but eternity with us. He created us. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We might have lost our way at some point, uh, but God is rich in mercy, and he's rich in love towards each and every one of his, his children. The book of Psalms, chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? and human beings that you care for them. We oftentimes when we see nature or we see a sunset or a sunrise or we see these things that God creates and we say, what an amazing God, what a detailed God, what an artist God is. The different colors and, of, um, of a sunrise, of a sunset. And the Bible says that those works of him, they only declare his glory. They give him glory that, he, that, that we are created. This world was created. It didn't just exist out of nothing. But he's mindful of you and I because we're created in his image. We're created in the image of God, which means that we represent God. And so he works in our lives. He molds us and he shapes us. He directs us and he corrects us. And he's working within our lives uh, in a process of sanctification, making us more and more like his son whom he loves and whom he's well pleased. So that we become less uh, of ourselves and more, look more like his son in nature. That the fruit of the spirit of God would be evident in our lives. And that's why he's mindful of us. See, it's the most important relationship that we will have is our relationship with God. And every relationship that we have takes work. Right, husbands? Right, husbands? Amen. Any relationship that's meaningful requires effort. Someone said, to keep your lamp burning, you must constantly put oil in it. In other words, that every relationship that is meaningful to you requires that you put a deposit into it, not just take, take, take. But every relationship that is meaningful is it's a two-way street. There's respect and dignity given to one another. There's honoring of one another. You do things uh, for your partner or for your child or for your parent uh, in that relationship because you know they appreciate it. You know they like it. You know that they are fond when you do that. Uh, you know. And there's things that you don't do in a relationship because you know it hurts the individual. You know that it bothers the individual. You know that uh, they feel disrespected when you do that in the relationship. And oftentimes they'll tell you, don't do that. I don't appreciate that. Can you change that? 
And it's same when it comes to our relationship with God. There's God who blesses us and gives to us, provides for us, meets our needs, comforts us, and strengthens us. But God also expects that we would give to him, that we would give him our lives, our hearts, that we would give him our dreams and our desires, that we would give him honor, praise, and glory, and that we wouldn't do things to upset the relationship. We wouldn't harden our hearts towards him. We wouldn't become disobedient or rebellious towards him. We wouldn't begin to outright sin and ignore the grace of God in our lives because it causes friction in that relationship and it causes God to say, if that's what you choose. Jacob is an example of someone who struggled within his relationships. His name means supplanter or deceiver. And we know what a deceiver is, someone who lies, someone who tricks, manipulates. A supplanter is someone who takes the place of someone else, usually by force or by treachery. And that was Jacob. He wanted to take the place of his brother as the firstborn who was to receive that, that birthright. So he manipulated and he lied and he, and he deceived. And that became the pattern in his life. And understand that that is not how we receive the blessings of God. That is not how we receive the, the promises of God through lying or manipulation or coercion. Because all that does, it leads to strife and trouble and it breaks relationships. And so Jacob... He had a part to play in his own misery. And sometimes when we're honest, we'll admit that we have a part to play in our own misery sometimes by our actions, by what we do, our insensitivity. But thank God again for his mercy and his grace. And thank God for the gift of repentance and forgiveness. Because tonight we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That when we've wronged somebody, we can repent and ask for forgiveness. And that when we've been wronged, we can forgive through Jesus. Jesus said in, his, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Jacob, he sinned against his brother. He deceived his brother. He, he exploited his hunger so that he could steal his birthright. And even though God had promised Rebekah, their mother, that Jacob would receive the blessing and that Jacob would receive the inheritance and that the, young, the older would serve the younger, that was not the way that God had intended. What Jacob and his mother did is they moved and they acted in the arm of the flesh rather than allow the Spirit of God to move and orchestrate things. They didn't see how this was going to be possible, so they took it upon themselves. And what ended up happening is they dishonored Esau. They lied to Isaac. They lied to Esau. And it got so much tension in that relationship that Esau vowed that he would kill his brother. That's how serious it got. So Jacob hit the road, and he ran away, and he went to his uncle's house. In 20 years of being separated from 
his, mo- his mother, his father, and his brother, uh, God called Jacob to go back home. God had blessed Jacob when he was out there, but now he says, you need to go back home. And Jacob knows that he needs to own up to what he did to his brother. And he knows that he needs to make peace with his brother. And sometimes we desire peace in our lives and in our relationships. But oftentimes we want to avoid that thing that's causing us to not have peace. And God's saying, I need you to deal with it. I need you to deal with the person, or I need you to deal with this issue, the, the, the issue, or I need you to deal with what you're running from. See, the promises and the blessings of God are connected to our relationship with God. If we do not have a relationship with God, we'll never be able to fully experience the fullness of God's blessing, the fullness of God's joy, the fullness of God's mercy. Because the blessings of God are for his people. It's our relationship with God that sustains us. It's not the blessings. It's not the promise. It's our relationship with God. Job is our example. He had everything. He had wealth. He had family. He had property. He He was a blessed individual. And when it was all taken away from him, he still had his relationship with God. When his wife was telling him, everything is gone, everything is lost, curse God and die, he was able to say, no, though God slay me, I'll still worship him. I'll still praise him. He's still my God. He's still my king. See, just because we are blessed don't mean that things are perfect. Just because God's favor is on our lives, it don't mean that things are always great. Sometimes it might even mean the opposite. See, being blessed is not devoid of struggle. Jacob had been blessed. He had family, he had his fortune, but he was still in the middle of a struggle. And one author wrote, the blessings of God do not necessarily remove us from difficulties of life. In fact, at times, the blessings of God can actually call us into places of hardship and struggle. Yet while God's blessings over us do not take us away from the difficulty, they declare the presence of God in the midst of that difficulty. And maybe you might find yourself in a trial tonight. Maybe you might find yourself wrestling with a temptation tonight. Maybe you might find yourself going through a struggle and you feel the enemy's assaults on you. Can I still tell you, you're still blessed. You're still blessed. You're blessed because Christ is with you. You're blessed uh, because you're looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your salvation. You're blessed uh, because you're not facing it alone. Jacob, he knew he had to confront his past and his brother. And he was worried. He was afraid. He was anxious. But in the midst of all that stress, he learned how to wrestle with God. And so, because of He's at a place where he's going to meet with his brother, and he hears his brother is coming with 400 men. Naturally, he's a little concerned. And he sends his family, and he sends his men, and he sends his possessions on. He says, get a head start. Maybe I can hold him off, because if he kills me, at least you'll have some time. And he's by himself. In the book of Genesis 32, verses 22 and 30, he says, he took them and he sent them over the brook and he sent them over, uh, over what he had. 
And then Jacob was left alone. And I think sometimes we might feel like we're alone when we go through things. And I think sometimes we feel like nobody quite understands what we're going through or I don't have someone to turn to. And this is where Jacob was. He was alone. And it says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he says, what is that to you that you ask about my name? And he blessed them there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Penel. He says, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob wrestled with God. And you and I need to learn the art of wrestling with God. We need to learn the art of getting a hold of God when, when things not just when, not, when they're not going right for us in our lives, but also when they're going good for us. We need to know and learn the art of wrestling with God and contending with God for whatever it is uh, that we're asking God to move in our lives about. See, wrestling, grappling, involves three things. Endurance, technique, and strategy. And often, if you've ever seen an MMA match, jiu-jitsu match sometimes when it goes to the ground it's you think it's over now this guy's about to either get choked out or he's going to tap out but what's interesting is these individuals they train they train and so being in an awkward position being in a position where close to submitting it's not uncommon for them because they've been there before. And so they know not to panic. They know to think about what they're doing. They know to just hold on just a little bit longer. Because no matter how uncomfortable they might be, and no matter how close to losing they might be, it's not over yet. And you see them by like some miracle, all of a sudden they get out of this hold and they're back on their feet and they're fighting again. And that's the art of wrestling, is sometimes we feel like, I ain't going to make it. That's it. I'm about ready to tap out. But if you've been there before, you know, no, I still got a little bit of fight left in me. If you've been there before, you know, you know what? I still got some more in me. Let me hold on. Let me continue to fight. God, be my strength. Get me through this. Life is filled with conflicts. Life is filled with clashes. It's learning how to contend. It's learning how to hold on. It's learning how to pray through something. It's learning how to fast through something. It's learning how to seek wise counsel. Because the decisions that we make, they have lasting impact. They have lasting impact. Jacob was blessed right where he was at, right where the Lord met him. And fathers, 
we need to contend for our families. We need to contend for our marriages, our children, our grandchildren. We need to learn how to stay in the gap fighting for them. See, Jacob wrestled with God. The Bible says that he was with him all night wrestling. There was persistence in his prayer. He didn't just give up when he got hurt, but there was persistence in his prayer. And we need persistence in our prayer, each and every one of us. We have prayer an hour before every service. We also have prayer on Thursday nights, first Friday of every month. And I appreciate whoever's in charge of the Thursday night prayer because, man, you know, it's, it's such an awesome thing to come into the house of God and just not have to worry about ministry, but just praying, just seeking God. And I don't get to be, be at every Thursday night prayer, but when I do come, I'm blessed when I leave. And I look around, and honestly, I don't see a lot of people. The place is pretty empty. But I do see familiar faces. I do see the same individuals. Every time I get to go, I see them there. And these are individuals that I know have a relationship with God. And I see them praying. And you know what they're doing? They're contending. They're fighting. They're fighting for their families. They're fighting for their blessing. They're fighting for whatever promise that God has given them. They're here. They're persistent in their prayers. They might not have seen it come to pass yet, but it hasn't stopped them from getting on their knees and seeking God. And that's what you and I need. Because when I see them, they encourage me. Oh, but you know what? They also rebuke me. Just by their faithfulness to prayer. It's like, man, what's my excuse? See, although that encounter might have been physically painful for Jacob, he understood that's where he needed to be, wrestling with God. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we're weak in our flesh, when we're weak in strength, when we're weak in ourselves, that's when we're strong in Christ. That's when we can draw the strength from Christ. That's when we can draw upon his word and upon what he's done in our lives and in the experiences that we've had with him. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob was desperate for a blessing that night. And he was desperate for a blessing unlike any other blessing that he had received. He was desperate for a blessing that didn't come from his own doing or his own making, but came from God himself. And when God asked him, what's your name? What God was saying was, Jacob, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to acknowledge who you are. You need to acknowledge your sin before me. Because until you acknowledge uh, who you are, and until you acknowledge that you need me in your life, I cannot bless you. And so Jacob had to acknowledge, I am a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I am a supplanter. And when we begin to acknowledge who we are to God, that's when God is able to move. And he says, yeah, but, but no longer, not anymore. Your name is now Israel. And for some of us here, when we came to Christ and said, Lord, forgive me for all my sins and all the things that I've done, he says, I remember them no more. I have a new name for you. I call you son. I call you daughter. I call you my child. I call you my beloved. I call you the apple of my eye. 
Those are terms of endearment that the father gives to his children. He doesn't say, I call you still a sinner, or you're still a thief, or you're still a liar, or you're still a drunk. He says, you're my child. <laughs> Lastly, Genesis book 28, 13 through 15. Keep your hand there. See, Jacob learned that night the value of that birthright, the value of that eternal blessing. And that blessing that Jacob received was the same blessing that God had promised his father and his grandfather. Three generations of men with the same promise. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, he says. He says, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. See, that promise as we close and as our worship team comes up, that promise came from God. It didn't come from man. It didn't come from his father. It didn't come from his grandfather. That blessing and that promise that God had given him came from God directly. And what God gives you, the enemy can't take away. He'll try to steal it. He'll try to get you to forfeit it. He'll try to get you to, to dismiss it. He'll try to get you to, to, to devalue it. But you need to hold on to that blessing. You need to hold on to the promise that God has given you. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We're a church that's a generational church. Some, you might have been the first in your family to get saved. For some of you, your parents, you're here because of your parents. And for some of you, you might be here because of your parents and your grandparents. And there's individuals here that when you got saved, you're seeing the answered prayer come to, come to pass. You're seeing God moving and answering your prayers just as he promised you so many years ago. For some of us, we're holding on to that promise. We're holding on to the promise. We might not have seen it come to pass just yet, but we're holding on to that promise that God is faithful. He's not a man that he should lie, that his promises are yes and amen, and that even if we may never see it, God will honor his word and fulfill the promise that he has given us. We've heard of generational curses. Right, strongholds that have been passed down from generation to generation. And at, as we end with this quick story, in the 1700s, there was two men living in the state of New York, uh, roughly the same age, living two separate different lives. One man was a born-again Christian, devout, loved the Lord. The other man was rejected Christ wanted nothing to do with Jesus, lived a life of crime, lived a life of hardship. And 
150 years after their deaths, sociologists, they did a study on their legacies. And they traced their lineage of their descendants. And the individual that rejected Jesus, uh, his defendants, or excuse me, his descendants, they were defendants because many of them struggled with incarceration, drunkenness, crime, prostitution, poverty. This man's decision to reject Jesus Christ in the 1700s affected his generations, his descendants for over 150 years. They struggled with all sorts of vices. The other man was a famous preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And he and his wife, Sarah, they had 11 children. And it says that they would spend their nights praying with their children, studying with their children. He would pray over every one of his children independently, the blessings of God upon them. And it made an impact on their lives and the lives of their children. And it says that the legacy of Jonathan Edwards included one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college professors, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public, hold, public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, 285 college graduates, and it said, and none of his descendants were lawbreakers. This was an individual that established a generational blessing upon his descendants. Why? Because of a decision to follow Jesus Christ, of a decision to be persistent in prayer, of a decision to hold on and to fight for the blessings and the promises of God on his life. And it just didn't affect him and his wife. It affected his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-great-great-grandchildren so that all of these individuals can trace uh, their favor back to their mother and father and the decision they made. Church, God, I believe, is expecting us to contend, to fight for the promises that he's given us and for the blessings of God that he wants to give upon us, not just for our sake, but for our children. And if the Lord carries their children, and their children. So if we can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed in reverence to God tonight. Uh,